Well, as we just sang, we are also going to be reading Psalm 58. So please turn there in your copies of God's Word to Psalm 58. And as you're turning there, just to orient our thinking, the context of this particular psalm is debatable, but it probably has to do with the time frame sometime after Saul decides to lay a price upon David's head and he is running for his life. So these individuals that were meant to establish justice and goodness and deal with him in fairness and equity are doing none of those things. And so David uses this psalm to cry out to God to bring judgment on the rulers that are supposed to be establishing goodness and truth. And of course, when you sing this psalm, perhaps you're still reeling from having sung it. And that, that's, that's okay, because in our culture here, to Western ears, the idea of asking the Lord to tear out the fangs of an individual, in this case a lion as it's depicted here, is not particularly understandable to us. But as we go throughout this psalm, you'll hear hard things. But towards the end, you'll hear something totally comforting and peaceful. So this is Psalm 58. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No, in your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth speaking lies. They have the venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. O oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O oh Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Oh, Lord God, during this time that we meet with you, Lord, speak to us. Some of these things in the psalm are hard. Give us ears to hear. Amen. When you look out in the news today, or you just look out on TV, or any kind of information, Facebook, Instagram, you'll see many things there that are quite discouraging. Many prevalent issues of injustice that occur in our society. 
There are babies that are sold for profit in this country. There are multiple abuse cases, verbal, physical. Just this last week on Wednesday in, the, in Maine, there was a shooting of an Army Reserve officer who shot people, 18 people, in a bowling alley, just on Wednesday alone. And people are still reeling over that. And not to mention all the wars, Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Hamas. These are just the ones that are on public media right now. The countless abuse of power is startling. And in the midst of all of this, all of the nations in an uproar, God's people get stuck in all of that and often experience unjust behavior at the hands of wicked men. And this is what David is experiencing. He is a just man that is experiencing unjust behavior at the hands of wicked, evil men. And when you look out into society and you see all of this injustice, doesn't your heart just cry out to God to act? And in this psalm, you are to cry out to God to execute justice. Because I will see in a little bit here, that is exactly what David is doing as he has seen the rulers, as he has seen all these people do these things. He is crying out to the one who can truly do something about it. And so that is the charge of this text to you today, is to cry out to your God to execute justice. So then let's dive into the text here. Let's look at verse 1. What does verse 1 say? Verse 1 says, Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? The answer to that question is very obvious. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is, no. You don't do those things. You were put in these positions of power to execute justice and goodness, and you are not doing that. Do you really? It's an expression of wonderment, of amazement at what is happening here. You can't believe it. Do you indeed? Do you really? No. So he gives these charges against the the rulers. And then he goes on in verse 2 to say, No, in your hearts you devise wrongs. These wicked, evil rulers are planning wickedness and evil. Think about that. Do you not see that in society today? All over the place, wicked men are devising evil plans to push forward their own agendas. She says, no, you devise plans. This is a thought-out premeditated planning. But it's not just that they do that, because at the end of verse 2 it says, your hands deal out violence on the earth. They're not just planning, they're executing their plans. And that is a scary thought. 
And then in three, we have this statement. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go about speaking lies. So the very core of our being, this, this, when we look about the wicked rulers, when we look at all of the injustice going on in the world, we shouldn't be surprised that this is occurring. Because from the very core of their being, this is who they are. And this is who all people are outside of Christ. We're estranged from God from the time that we were born. If you who have children, you, you know this. This is part of the nature that we were born into because you don't have to tell your children not to tell lies, do you? You have to tell them to tell the truth. Because by nature, we do not want to tell the truth. And so from the very birth of these men, of, of all people who are outside of Christ, this is their default nature is to lie, to be deceivers, to plan and execute wickedness. David goes on to describe them this way. He says in verse 4, They have the venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear. He describes them as serpents. And serpents, when you think about that, we should think back to the garden in Genesis 3. What was the form that Satan took? It was a serpent. And in saying they have the venom, like the venom of a serpent, he is ascribing them to be fathers of the, the evil one is their father. He is saying the father of lies, you are liars, you are part of this people. Satan and all of his world, this is who you are part of. Because this is how you are by nature. And this is not an uncommon thing to call out wickedness, to call out evil. To call out wicked rulers for the character that they are exhibiting. Because even Jesus does this, doesn't he? Think back to the Gospels in Matthew chapter 23. He calls the Pharisees who are in a position of power and authority and influence over others. He says to them, he calls them, you serpents and you brood of vipers. This is not wrong to call out what is being seen. Jesus is doing this himself. David is doing this in the text. You might say, well, that's all well and good, but what do I really do with this? Well, I would charge you this week to consider doing the following. If you've never studied Psalm 58, reflect on it this week. Read it. Meditate on it. You all face injustice to varying degrees. Or if you personally don't, perhaps you know others that do. And you could share this Psalm 58 with them to help them to know words and verbiage to use in, in their communication and their prayers with, with God. You should also examine your own privilege. We all come, including myself, from a country where we don't have to experience much persecution. So again, the, I, I, in our Western ears, we're hearing this and we're saying, this seems a little bit much. But put yourself in the situation of the persecuted church. 
Jesus gives this to them as a battle cry to use in their fight against wickedness and against the evil one. And when you experience injustice, you too can use this psalm as a battle cry to the Lord. We live in a society where we can be involved in change to varying degrees. You can petition to things. You can vote for rulers. In fact, God commands you to do that. He says you should pray for rulers. You should pray for those who are in office. So you can affect change so that justice can be established. Good people can be put in positions of authority. And then we come to this second part here. In the second part of the psalm, David is demanding that his enemies be destroyed. Let's look here at verse 6. Verse 6 says, O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. This vicious, perhaps barbaric imagery. But let's break this down a little bit. If you've ever watched National Geographic or any of these shows on Netflix about animals, you might have seen ones about lions. In order for a lion to kill, it uses its teeth to break the neck of the animal that it wants to consume. The teeth are the source of the power of the lion. If you take out the source of power, the lion no longer has any power. It uses its fangs, its teeth, to break the neck of its foes, to consume, to destroy. And David is saying, these rulers are like that. They're like the lions that use their fangs to devour and destroy. Tear them out. Break them. Remove their source of power, because if they don't have those anymore, they will have no power. Break them. Tear them out. Please cut them across from the source of their power so they cannot do this injustice anymore. So when you think about it that way, it doesn't seem so vicious. That's all that David is asking. And he's using vivid language to communicate these desires because it's coming from experiences and justice himself. And it's much easier to understand when you have experienced injustice. But then it goes on to say, in verse 7, it doesn't stop there. The language doesn't end. It goes on. It says, let them vanish like the waters that run away. If you've been to the Sahara Desert before, and you were to just take a glass of water and pour it out, it would take very few seconds if you were to look away and look back, you, would, you wouldn't even notice that there was anything that you had poured out because the sun evaporates it in an almost instantaneously because of the heat. That's what David is asking for. May they be evaporated. May they be destroyed like water that runs away. And then he says, when he aims his arrows at the end of verse 7, let them be blunted. If you're shooting an arrow that doesn't have the point on it, it may still hurt, but it's not going to cause the destructiveness that it 
was previously capable of doing. It doesn't have the tip of the arrow, which is the point that is most destructive. So remove the, the source of power. Going back to what he had said before, remove it. May, when they shoot the arrows, may them be blunted. Verse 8 says this, Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. Like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. If, if you've ever had a stillborn child, you'll, you'll know that the child doesn't get a chance to do very much. And as sad as an image of that is, that's what David is asking for. May they not be able to accomplish anything. Because if this is their nature, I don't want them to execute this injustice and this evil on people. Let them be able to accomplish nothing at all. Oh, God, please let them not be able to accomplish anything. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, in verse 8, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. Lord, don't just do these things, but do them now. Quickly act, because all of this is going around, and I, I can't handle, I can't continue to see all this injustice, and there not be actions that are taken. Lord, please, before the, before the pots can feel the heat from burning thorns, whether green or ablaze, may they blow away. That's what he's asking. Act quickly, O oh Lord. Please. I'm a lover of truth and of goodness. Act, O oh God. Act quickly. You might be asking a question during this time. Can you really pray these things? Tear out the fangs, break the teeth, and they... Be like the snail that dissolves into slime. I want you to notice something. If you go back to verse 6, there's a bookend here. It says, O God, and then it ends with, O Lord. The, the, what is occurring in verses 6 to 9 are not actions that are being taken by David. Or not, rather, not an account, they're not an account of actions that are taken. David is requesting that God do these things, that God act, that God execute justice. He's not taking anything into his own hands. He's seeing what's occurring, he's calling it out, and he's saying, now God, please do something. Because this is the temptation of all of us, isn't it? We move from asking God then he doesn't respond as quickly as you'd like him to. And some of us may be tempted to then take justice into our own hands. You cannot do that. David is not advocating for that here. He is placing the execution of the acts of justice upon God. And as you see... All of the things in society that are going wrong, you can pray these things to God and ask him to do these things, just as David did. 
And it's not just that David did this either. Because Jesus himself does this. Yes, this is a psalm that is more graphic in nature, but Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer to deliver us from evil. So even in the Lord's Prayer, this kind of idea is being drawn out. Deliver us from evil. How do you do that? Well, sometimes it's by executing justice and judgment upon the wicked. You may say, well, again, this is all good, but what do I practically do with this? Well, again, you need to commit to entrusting justice into God's hands. When he seems slow, he's not. His timing is always better than yours. So wait. The God of all good will eventually execute justice in his good and perfect timing. So wait patiently upon the Lord. And remember, as you pray these things, as you think about these things, as you ask the Lord to do this, you need to remember the humbling reality that such were some of you. We are not any better than the wicked. We don't stand on a pedestal and look down. We're simply, as one theologian said, a beggar that, a beggar that has found the bread that is pointing out to another beggar where the bread is. You don't stand in a, you're not, you're not standing on the righteousness that is your own. So there is no boasting to be had. So when you pray these, you must pray in a state of humility, recognizing God's grace to you as you do so. And for the times that you have decided to execute vengeance or to move beyond God's timing to your timing, you, you need to repent of that. And then we come to the, the end of the psalm, verses 10 and 11. There is this rejoicing. Look at verse 10. It says, The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. Rejoicing. Now, what do we think of when we think of vengeance? Sometimes we think of this personal vendetta. But the vengeance that is being talked about here by, by David is not a vindictive, personal vendetta. It's the just execution of justice. Not by himself, but in fact by another. And this accrues with various other aspects and parts of Scripture. Think about Deuteronomy, where it says in Deuteronomy 32, Verse 35, it says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. The Lord is the one that is going to be executing the vengeance. He is the one that's going to be restoring justice. And he is also the perfect one in which to do so. But you said, but rejoicing? Really, rejoicing is, is the word that we're going to use here. Yes, that is the word that is used here, rejoicing. 
Would you not rejoice if the wars that have been raging in our society today ended? Have you not rejoiced in the past when there was injustice and that injustice was rectified? Have you not rejoiced when people who have done evil have been brought to justice? Yes. I have done the same. And part of this is because it's if, if we are a child of God especially, we're rejoicing because we understand that anything that is evil and wicked is not of God. So when we see that eliminated, when we see that removed, and we see love and we see goodness come into fruition, yes, we rejoice. Yes, we praise the Lord that justice and goodness is going forth. Because that's how the world was designed to, to be function. It's because God has set us free to know what goodness and justice is, so we praise Him and we rejoice. Because the evil people that are saying that there is no God, that, that, that the Lord does not care, that the Lord does not act, are being proven wrong. So yes, we rejoice. Because isn't it so wonderful to see goodness exuded and exercised in our society? Doesn't it just make your heart sing for joy? Now, of course, our natural disposition ought to be when we look at the world around us and we see all these evil people doing all of these evil things, our default should not be to rejoice at their destruction. Our default should be to plead for their deliverance. Again, as such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were given new life. And so, yes, your natural default position, if it is not this, there is something wrong. Your natural default disposition should be to cry out for their deliverance. should be to plead with the Lord, Oh, God, would you set them free? Would you break them from the chains that enslave them? But if not... Yes, tear out the fangs. Yes, break the teeth in their mouths. Yes, make them like the slug that dissolves into slime. Because, Lord, I cannot live in a society, and I was not made to live in a society where all of this is occurring. And when it happens to you and, and your children, and when it's personal, like it was personal to David, you can rejoice when you see the perpetrators brought to justice because it is a good thing.
The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Again, another graphic image here. But again, diving a little bit deeper into this text, if we look at the original languages, if we understand the context of Scripture, this is not talking about an individual Christian who is bathing his blood, or bathing his feet, rather, in the blood of the wicked. This is, in fact, a picture of Jesus Christ. It is, in fact, a picture of the final consummation when God's wrath and his just anger will be executed against the wicked. Just look, for, look with me, or you could just listen along here in Revelation 19. Here's what it says in Revelation 19. Listen to some of the, this, this picture, this picture about what will happen here in the future. In verse 13, it says, He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations, he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. This picture, this, this winepress, people who make wine, they, they go into these little baths and they, with their feet, at least then, would crush the grapes under their feet. And as the grapes were crushed, you can imagine, especially wearing white robes is, is the language that's being given here, this picture, that there would be a, a robe that would look like it was dipped in blood. And so this, this picture here, he will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. His robes will be, will be covered in crimson. It's depicting the the, the final judgment, when all evil will be done away with, when all wickedness and all evil will be put away, and God's goodness and his righteousness will shine forth from the heavens. So much so that as it said in verse 11, mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. So in the end, even the wicked who are going to be experiencing the, or going to be experiencing the wrath of God will look at the justice that is, that is happening to them and they will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. That's what's being said here. They can't deny it in the end. And there's even this picture as well as we can think back further in Revelation 19. It's, there will even be a time when it's not just that the wicked will acknowledge the justice of God. It will also be a time when the righteous will acknowledge the justice of God. Because in Revelation 19, it says, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. These two groups of people are looking at the one, the righteous one, who is executing justice, and they are praising him for doing so. What an astounding picture! What a crazy 
picture. And this reward, when this justice is executed, as 1 Peter talks about, the reward is a kingdom that is imperishable, undefiled, and kept for you in heaven. The reward for the righteous is finally, no more injustice. Finally, peace. Finally, God's presence that has so eluded me at times. He's there in front of me. It's when all wrongs will be made right. It's when peace and goodness and truth will abound. It will never be broken. And you will never, ever have to deal with pain, sickness, and death again. And God says the day is near. What a comforting picture. And none of these are actions that you have to take. It says the righteous will rejoice when he sees vengeance. He is a passive participant in the picture that is being given here. Your King Jesus will do all of this for you. What a comfort that is. That one day this will all be over. And to you who are not believers, I just want to talk to you for a moment. You know who you are. You may be saying to yourself, listen, I, I don't know if I can come to Christ because I'm just too, too bad. You don't understand the atrocities that I've committed. There's no way that this righteous, just one will accept me. I am too bad. And to answer that point, I want to tell you that you're not as bad, you're, you're, you're far worse, rather, than what you realize that you even are. And yet God is far more gracious than what you can ever begin to fathom. So you can either be part of the party over here, the wicked who are praising the Lord. Yes, surely there is a judge who judges the earth and receive condemnation. Or you can be a child of God who, with the angels in heaven, is rejoicing at what God has done through Christ Jesus, the righteous one. So again, in the news, you might see all these things. And that may cause you to be disheartened. When injustice occurs, and you wonder where God is, call out to your God to execute justice. And wait on his good and perfect timing to do so. Let me pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this, both this graphic passage you've given to us, and yet in its 
as much as it's graphic in a horrifying sense, it's also, it's also a, a comforting in a joyous passage that is also meant in the midst of all of this to, to lead us to rejoicing with the angels in heaven. Lord, you, you, you see all that is going on in our society. You see all the injustice that perhaps we ourselves have experienced. Maybe even some in this room right now are experiencing, experiencing injustice. Lord, help them to wait. Help them to call out to you to execute justice. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.